Last week on Let's Talk Supply Chain, I was joined by Tom from Source Day, and we learned all about the amazing things that they are doing with their platform. It was a really great episode, and we dived into how they really help their customers and how they could potentially help you with some of your challenges as well. So if you missed it, you can catch up over on letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast and it was episode 217 or you can check it out on any other platform where you subscribe to the show. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. Throughput.ai puts industrial material flow on autopilot by leveraging existing enterprise data. Throughput's AI software predicts demand, reorients production capacity, reassigns warehouse space, and reorders materials optimally more than five times faster than leading contemporary solutions. So businesses minimize over-promising and under-delivering. Sign up for a free demo to see Throughput in action. Visit throughput.ai. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. Is anybody else in shock that it is September already? I mean, where did that summer go? And we're going to be heading into fall soon and hopefully things are going to get back to somewhat of a new normal in the beginning of 2022. So today I'm excited to welcome a truly inspirational VC, entrepreneur, product strategist, and community builder with 25 years of experience working with startups and Fortune 500s alike to our Woman in Supply Chain series. Do you have any idea who it might be? Well, I will let you know after our question of the week. So the question of the week was, what do you enjoy doing in your downtime? I loved this question and we got so many amazing comments, not only on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page, but also on my personal LinkedIn page as well. Kadar says, I love to play with my son, sketch some doodles, read a book from my auntie library and bake bread. Laura says, great question. Not sure if this is downtime, but in a weird kind of way, I enjoy training for an Ironman. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, She's really excited that the event is going to take place in Canada this year. So good luck to Laura. That's great. Erica says, I enjoy live music when I'm not at work. I enjoy live music as well. And for me, I also like to sing and I'm hopefully going to record some stuff fairly soon. And Maria M says, run the streets. And I said, you know, exercise exercise is good for so many things. So that's amazing. Thank you to everybody who uh, commented on our question of the week. We ask that question every single Wednesday morning, and we love to hear from you on those questions. So now back to today's podcast and the amazing woman in supply chain I have with me today is Lisa Morales Hellebo. After beginning her career in graphic design, Lisa pulled together her talents for creativity, product design, and innovation, and set her sights on tech. 
After successfully founding her own startup and being named one of the top 10 women in DC tech, Lisa realized the impact she could have helping other startups. Her passion and commitment to the acceleration of technologies that advance the industry has only grown, and now, as well as advising others, she is also the co-founder of two organizations that focus on funding innovation and revolutionizing supply chain. Today, Lisa will be talking to us about her career so far, her love for fashion tech and passion for innovation, why she believes the world is a supply chain, and she'll be sharing her words of advice for all of the women following in her footsteps. But remember, this series would not be possible without our sponsors. And so here is just a word from that sponsor. Apex Logistics are proud to sponsor Let's Talk Supply Chain's Women in Supply Chain podcast and blog series. Our leadership team actively works to empower an industry as diverse as our workforce with a focus on inclusion. And we're passionate about promoting the voices of women leaders to drive visibility around their achievements. So welcome to the show, Lisa. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I'm excited to have you here. I mean, you and I have touched base on a couple of different occasions. We've done some clubhouse rooms together. I've done even more research on you and your background and your organizations, you know, before this particular episode. And I just got even more excited because you're doing incredible things. And I think, I think you know, we, we share a lot of beliefs around the power of innovation, collaboration, sustainability, and you're just making incredible strides and I can't wait to pick your brain and introduce you to our community and really just inspire right inspire other people in the industry women in the industry the next generation so let's dive in shall we as I mentioned in the intro you have a degree in graphic design and spent a number of years in creative design positions but you're now very much in the fashion tech and supply chain space. So what has that journey looked like? I mean, at what point did you start to get more interested in supply chain and the tech side and why? Yeah, good question. I mean, isn't an isn't it an obvious progression to everyone? <laughs> well, I see it, but I don't know how many other people would see it. So yeah, I'll I'll I've always been obsessed with fashion. Since I was a little girl, I'm a Puerto Rican from the Bronx, and my parents moved us to Westchester when I was very young. So we did not have money to buy clothes for anyone other than my dad because he was the one going to the city to work. He was a principal in the South Bronx, and my mom was a homemaker. So for us to get dressed, we had to go to Joanne Fabrics and pick out stuff from the bargain bin and um, turn turn it into something. And so my earliest memories are like picking the most expensive textiles from the bargain bin and my own patterns, Butterick and McCall, and then modifying them to turn them into something that I would want to wear. And eventually as I got older, I became a club kid and I would go to the city and I'd be wearing my own designs and people would ask me, oh my God, I love what you're wearing. Where'd you get it? And I'd just be like, it's custom. But very early on, it was really such part of my formative years that I was surrounded by everyone that was wearing designer labels, but we couldn't. And right. so it was, you always want the thing you can't have. <laughs> That's true. 
And so um, my entire uh, life, I've been creative and I used to sew my own Barbie doll clothes and then I sewed them for my sister for way too long until it was like, why are you still sewing Barbie clothes? Your sister is 15. Like, (laughs) (laughs) So um, then I, I was always voted most creative and artistic in my school. And when I applied to college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to do something creative that made money. That wasn't a starving artist. (laughs) And so um, I heard about this graphic design thing and I looked at universities. And at the time, Carnegie Mellon was one of the top three schools in the country for graphic design, but it was the only one that wasn't a fine art school, Mm. not RISD or Parsons, et cetera. And I said, that's the one. And I only applied to Carnegie Mellon, (laughs) much to my parents' chagrin. (laughs) And so um, got in scholarships and grants and and graduated with honors. But um, really what I, I don't know what gave me the foresight to make those sorts of crazy choices. Um, is that having a Carnegie Mellon degree, I had econ and C++ and psychology and writing and all the things. And there were interdisciplinary collaborations across uh, disciplines within the university. So it really was a design thinking degree, learning how to think creatively applied to problem solving. And that, lo and behold, is one of the most sought after skills in business. (laughs) And has been my continuous thread to lead me through my journey from doing graphic design and branding for companies like Coca-Cola and Herman Miller through to um, working in Silicon Valley for Procter & Gamble and Redpoint Ventures-backed startup that pioneered the space of mass customization, personalization, and on-demand micromanufacturing all the way back in 1999. And that was wow. across cosmetics, skincare, hair care, and fine fragrance. Nothing existed till you created it online. We had custom packaging, custom formulations with millions of possible skew permutations. Well, it wasn't really skew. It was a skew to you. Um, and I was doing all the branding and marketing and user experience and, and pushed our team to say, okay, if someone creates one product, why are we asking them to come back through the process and f- answer all these questions to create a okay. new product? Let's just yeah. push them new products that we could create specific to them and make a custom email graphic leveraging Macromedia Generator back then to push through the hex value for a lipstick that would only exist for them if they clicked through to purchase it. And we were doing things like that back in 1999. So (laughs) my entire career has been obsessed with um, data, customization, personalization, on demand, and um, yeah, has led me to <laughs> doing what I'm doing now, which still has been a, a constant evolution. That I think is the, crazy. The continuous thread is that I'm obsessed with learning. Yeah, and I love that. I love that. And we're, I think we're going to get more into what you're doing right now, but they, you have told some some stories around 3D printing, and hopefully we'll get into that as well, because I think it's fascinating. And so you're the co-founder of some amazing organizations, which I mentioned before, and I really want to dive deep on them because they're, they're really exciting, and they represent the future of supply chain. So let's start with refashion. Tell us what it does and explain for those who might not have heard this term, what does refashion fashioning supply chains mean? Yes, thank you. (laughs) So Refashioned Ventures is an early stage supply chain fund. We invest in pre-seed, seed, 
uh, innovations that are across data, AI, advanced manufacturing, advanced logistics, and advanced materials. And so refashioning supply chains is kind of um, one of those old-fashioned words <laughs> that people yeah. don't really use in the current day and age, um, but it's to redesign something, to rethink it, to reconfigure it from the ground up. Um, and so for me, refashioning uh, of our global supply chains is currently the definition of what's happening in this space. It is um, supply chains are being digitized for the first time in history, which to me is the most exciting thing you could possibly mm -hmm. look to invest in because it's the largest operating system to ever exist on our planet. It's bigger than operating system for computers, bigger than the internet, and bigger than mobile. Wow. And people, what they don't realize, why? Because literally supply chain digitization is IoT, cyber physical systems, digital fibers in your clothing. When everything in the physical world can talk to everything else, that's the biggest operating system to ever exist. Awesome. Awesome. And how, like, why did you think that that was needed for like this kind of fund in the industry? There's a lot of people that are getting into the industry from an investment perspective. So why refashion? Yeah. So, oh Lord, my entire career really. <laughs> Just having a 20 year head start on what demand chains could and should mm. do and having the rest of the world not really catch up to it until just now. Um, I guess everything creates a, a learning experience throughout my career. And after uh, Reflect.com in Silicon Valley, I moved to Norway. I learned a foreign language. I'm fluent in Norwegian. <laughs> my Spanish is garbage, but <laughs> I can speak fluent Norwegian, um, which helped me to see, well, if I can work in another language in another country, hey, maybe when I go back to the States, I could start my own company in English. <laughs> right. And so I had my own agency here um, with clients like Coca-Cola and Nexus and startup companies and fashion brands. And I got really bored and um, realized that brands were not pushing the envelope. They were right. doing boring, safe campaigns. And I like doing things that have never existed before. So <laughs> my um, my brain works in like a lot of creative people where you ideate in your sleep. And I had a few months of just like restless sleeping and I'd get up and I'd doodle everything that I was designing and developing in my sleep. And lo and behold, it was a whole architecture for a contextual search engine. And it was based on the premise that um, Polyvore, a search engine or a site that allowed you to collage um, outfits or anything on the mm -hmm. web, really, uh, that was also shoppable, was founded in 2007. And then by 2010, I was like, they're going to turn that into a, a search engine, right, of groups of disparate items that are put into a meaningful context that you can then say, I want that look for like this price point. They're going to mm -hmm. do that, right? And they never did. So, mm -hmm. so I, um, I find myself doing a lot of things in my career because I'm pissed off. And I was pissed off that they didn't, <laughs> that they didn't do that. And so I was like, well, somebody's got to do it. I'll do it. Right. So I architected that. It was um, contextual search, shopping for an outfit 
Uh, it was a dress, a bag, shoes, and two accessories from different brands, 6,000 brands. And we'd have these groups that you could pull from ShopStyle, Polyvore, Caboodle, all these sites. Every brand puts out their own merchandising. What they don't do is merchandise it with competitors' products. Right. And so, unfortunately, that's how real people shop. So yeah. <laughs> I figured, well, if there's going to be a new form of search, it needs to be really engaged with how real people shop. So we took those as our inputs and then allowed users to modify by applying filters, price or color, and then you'd remix those looks and we'd call through 32 trillion possible permutations for the five item sets, serve mm -hmm. up your top 30 results as little visual collages with the look total underneath, now mm -hmm. within your latest parameters, price point, colors, nice. locking in the things that you wanted to keep as you discovered, oh, that dress is perfect, lock yeah, that yeah, in, yeah. everything else changed to gold. Okay, now right. everything else changed to this price point. Um, and it would take seconds to find a head-to-toe outfit from 6,000 brands. Nice. And so I applied to Techstars and got in. What I learned is that VCs do not know anything about fashion or retail. And what was even more shocking is that they would not admit it. And they would supply chain. And supply say. chain. Yes, Just and supply say. chain. There's a lot of things VCs wouldn't admit or, under, or they don't understand. What they would much rather do is tell people – mostly women women and people of color that they're silly or wrong and they should change their business model to something they understand if they want to get their money. And I eventually said, I don't think I want your money because you will take my IP and I'll work at a company I hate. You'll put my IP in a drawer and I'll no longer yeah. own it. And I know it's valuable. <laughs> yeah. So I shut down the company, and the day after I pulled the plug, I got a call from ASOS, head of global innovation at the time, saying, what happened? We've been following you. You made something we need we've never seen before. I was like, shut the front door. I cannot, cannot even stand this. So um, instead of going into a founder depression, I decided to found and build a fashion tech accelerator, the one that I wish had existed when I had my fashion right. tech company. Awesome. So the New York Fashion Tech Lab I founded with um, Springboard Enterprises in 2014. And I got to bring on board all the major brands and retailers, C-suite executives, and talk with them behind closed doors for the better part of a year. Right. And that is really where, again, I got pissed off <laughs> that <laughs> they were like, I built you this accelerator to solve your pain points and you're still yeah. investing in shiny objects. Why? Yeah. <laughs> well, the why it turns out is that these C-suite executives are changing jobs every two to three years. Mm. And so they don't really care, frankly, if the company goes under in five or what the impact is on the planet because they just want their bonus. And that's usually tied mm. to some PR win that they get short term and that's what they'll invest in. So mm. I said, for crying out loud, I drag this horse to water. I can't make them drink. Maybe I'll drown them. Right. <laughs> so I left after the first cohort to study the apparel supply chain and say, it's the supply chains, people. Like, why are you still investing? You cannot have an agile, dynamic, experiential front end with a static back end. Yes, like, exactly. come on, people. <laughs> It just doesn't work. And you're putting all your money into those front end things, but it's the back end people. So mm -hmm. um, I left and on my own dime studied the apparel supply chain for a year, going into maker labs, cut and sew shops, ateliers and factories of all different sizes, really trying to understand how to solve for, again, applying design thinking 
to this massive problem that every brand was saying, it's just impossible to solve the whole sustainability thing. You know, how do we, how do we eliminate the $50 billion of dead stock that Mm -hmm. is in the U S every year now? Right. When you, when you look at the 300 to $350 billion that fashion purchases are in the U S that $50 billion of dead stock is insanity. That is incredible. <laughs> that number is huge. I can't. Yes. <laughs> and this people don't like dead stock is just a word. People don't really quantify what that word means, but I love walking people through the process. This is product that they have global staff to manage their global supply chain right. to globally source cotton in one country, bring it to another country for processing, to turn it into fiber and thread, to then spin it and weave it, then to get it um, lab dipped and dyed or printed. And then they ship it to another country to have it converted. And many times brands will buy yardage and lab dip it or print it just to have that print in reserve in case they want to use it for some season in the future. And Mm -hmm. then they don't. (laughs) And so um, then they convert it in, you know, very cheap, cheap, cheap labor uh, countries that we have outsourced to for many years now uh, to then ship it all around the world to redistribute it to the countries where they have stores or warehouse distribution centers for e-commerce, merchandise it, market it, (laughs) and try to sell it. And this is product that they mark down to 25% off, 50, 70, 90% off, and nobody still wanted. Right. So you think, oh, well, then it's done. No, no, no. Now they're still paying for it. They have to then take that product off the floor, ship it back to warehousing before it's Mm -hmm. sent to incineration or landfill, which both are a cost as well. So tell me again about your $2 landed t-shirt that you purchased through your global supply chain. (laughs) I think you're focused on the totally wrong thing. Mm -hmm. So um, that was one side. I was like, do people not understand how supply chains work? Like what is up with this? (laughs) So that there is the fact that we've addicted our consumers to fast fashion. Mm -hmm. And we've put billions of dollars into this and we were really good at it. So they're addicted and we don't have enough time to change this human behavior now. Mm -hmm. So the last side being the 2030 deadline, which now is now. (laughs) We don't have till 2030. We are in full on climate crisis in case people haven't noticed. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the world's on fire. We have severe weather patterns. We have forced mass migrations. We have increased disruption and... Um, and uh, unrest all over the world. Um, yeah. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Oh, well, we don't have icebergs anymore. So, <laughs> uh, so people will be like the tip of the what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, what is that? I don't yeah. remember those. Uh-huh. So um, I was trying to apply design thinking to solving for all three sides of those. And silly me, my only solution I could arrive at was to create a localized physical version of a distributed collaborative network. Mm 
It works in blockchain because you get agility, resiliency, and redundancy, and authentication. So what happens if we apply those same principles to a physical network and create a distributed collaborative physical network of on-demand micro-manufacturing facilities that your finished goods are literal one-offs, so your volume Mm -hmm. is not your finished goods, it's now your shared raw materials. Right. And those raw materials can now become the post-consumer waste. (laughs) We produce four times the textile waste of any other country in the world. And mm-hmm. so we literally don't need to produce or grow another fiber for generations. We are sitting on mountains of textile waste that could be generations worth of regenerative textiles. Wow. Wow. So that was my thesis and why I got into supply chain and really threw myself into it. I said, if this is, if there's anything that I can dedicate the rest of my life to that I'm uniquely positioned to solve, this is it. And this is a... A, a really, um, it's something that I would be willing and need to dedicate the rest of my life to. Somebody, again, I'm pissed off. Nobody's solving it, so I will. <laughs> well, and just the knowledge that you have is like incredible. I mean, everything <laughs> that you've just shared is like a mind blowing. It's blowing my mind right now. And so, how's it going so far? Like, what's kind of the <laughs> feedback that you're getting? Because you know, especially in an episode like this, where we're talking about your journey, we want to know what you're working on, but we also want to know what are those challenges? What's the pushback that you're getting? Are you able to make the impact that you set out to make, or are you still far off? Because I think a lot of us get very consumed with what it looks like now and what that success looks like, but we don't really talk about what it was like to get there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I am a, let's see, 10-year overnight success, (laughs) Uh, seven years of that specifically focused on just this problem set and community building around it and fund and ecosystem. And after that year of study, because I'm a design thinking person, I think visually, I had to create a visual deck to communicate my findings to other people so I could have them give me feedback and tell me if I was an idiot. And this is totally wrong. And the industry is actually solving it like this. But what I found was, um, everyone was saying, nobody's doing that. Wait, what? Like, I'm not a rocket surgeon. This is the only thing that makes sense. We Mm -hmm. have billions of dollars that people are putting into all kinds of advertising to teach consumers that it's all your fault. The planet's dead (laughs) because you didn't recycle the garbage that we sell you and, and don't care about how it gets to you. And, you know, don't look at us. It's you. Um, There is, if I see another nonprofit organization that is talking about defining the problems and taking millions of dollars to have conferences and events about these problems (laughs) or creating another study or white paper about the problems that everyone could attach their name to and cite a pledge, I'm going to stab myself in the eye. Like, uh, stop it. (laughs) Let's put that money towards actually building the thing that will create the outcome we're all avoiding dancing around, like actually doing. So. The answer is I started out trying to get the industry on board. And what I realized is that the industry doesn't actually want to solve their problems because Mm -hmm. that would, the the inertia is strong. (laughs) 
<laughs> their uh, self-preservation is strong. The C-suite doesn't want to rock the boat and nobody below them does either. So they are not looking to actually change the way they do business until they have to. And so what I realized is since they're not going to do it, wait, I don't need them to adopt it because disruption comes from outside of industries Mm -hmm. and it usually displaces and or replaces a dying industry because their model is no longer viable. So I said, um, it was actually in 2019 when a senior advisor to the global CEO of a major top tier fashion brand reached out to me and we had a 30 minute chat at Grand Central and after that chat, he's like, my dear, I need to spend hours with you. <laughs> and so our next meeting was about five hours. And he started pulling out of me little bits and pieces. He was like, Can you just put that into a little Google Slides. You're thinking on this and that. And I'd send it over to him. And he shared it with the global CEO and their board. And before you know it, he's like, Can you just write an SOW to build out a localized supply chain for us in the US? And I was like, But what? No, I wasn't. I was trying to help you do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, you're freaking global company. Why would you need me? Um, Well, you have the network, you have the contacts, you have the know-how, you have the landscape. Um, Like we have none of that. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was floored. So, okay. Um, Because I need, I know it needs to exist. Sure. Um, I'll cobble together a team asked Eric Mumford, who I'd worked for with in the past on a Macy's project and some other things, to come and work on this SOW with me. He's brilliant at go-to-market and can take my strategy and turn it into execution. Nice. So we um, start working on the SOW from October 2019, and then March 18th, 2020, <laughs> we send over the final SOW. And then the world exploded two days later right? (laughs) and shut down. And we were like, oh, shit, what now? (laughs) So um, what we realized was, well, we'd just spent all this time and effort to, like, put together a plan of how to deploy exactly what we were thinking. So maybe we should just do it. Like, Mm -hmm. we didn't need that brand. And what I realized is that I needed to help the U.S. factories not go under. Yeah during 2020, because as I've been saying, as you've seen in LinkedIn a lot, you know, it's time for us to have investment in the infrastructure in the largest consumer markets that you sell into. So if you sell into the U.S., it's time to invest in U.S. infrastructure. If you truly want to, well, we all know they don't really care about the planet. If you want to avoid risk (laughs) and actually have inventory that will be landed and ship and you can make money off of in the U.S., you should have infrastructure here to create it, distribute it, et cetera. So um, we, through 2020, had a number of companies reaching out to us. First, it was IBM asking for me to talk publicly about blockchain because, you know, I talk about things in a way that anyone can understand and make it fun and exciting. And um, so Rapid Supplier Connect, what does that have to do with blockchain? And and then Jor reached out to us. Kristen Sevilla is an amazing woman, their CEO, and she offered their procurement team to help us. And then Gerber Technology reached out to us, the largest hardware and software manufacturer for apparel, home goods, and furniture in the U.S., mm-hmm. 
Um, they were just recently acquired by Lectra out of France. They reached out to us and we signed mutual NDAs and became instantly BFFs with their chief strategy officer, Karsten awesome. Newbury. And before you knew it, we were sharing insights and information and they had a Gerber Innovation Center on the 19th floor of the Starrett Lee building here in New York City that we took a tour of. And I was like, holy crap, you've got a micro factory. How many right. of these suckers have you deployed? Mm, none. <laughs> so um, not really. So I we dug into, well, why? Uh, have you talked to the factory owners? Like, why is this, everyone not wanting this? You could walk into the 19th floor of the Starrett Lee building, have two photos taken with 3D look and right. get your measurements, choose what you want to design, a dress, a button down, a t-shirt, choose your neckline, your sleeve type, your sleeve length, your print you want to see on it, see it rendered, hit print, watch it go to the Cornet digital printing machine, the digital curing machine for the pigment waterless non-toxic um, uh, printing, the digital cutting machine, Gerber Z1 cutter, then sends a digital bill of lading to the digital sewing machine that resets the stitch type and the foot pedal so the seamstress just goes zip, zip, zip wow. <laughs> in 20 minutes. Wow, 20 minutes. Yes. So I was like, this is what I've been talking about. <laughs> and so um, they had not been selling into factories because, especially in the U.S., because U.S. factories have been struggling to stay afloat. Right. And that line of hardware and software, CapEx of $2.2 million. Right. <laughs> Good luck trying to sell that into a factory that's trying to compete with Asia on a race to the bottom. Yeah. We can do no it for problem. five cents less. Wait, can you live on that in the U.S.? Yeah. No, but we need work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was just insanity. So we decided to, you know, hey, you have hardware and software. We know how to build business models <laughs> and can help you figure out how to truly create something that is viable for this infrastructure to deploy and scale and be profitable for all the parties involved. And what we arrived at was really our hub and spoke model that refashioned OS is. So right. refashioned OS, we're building the fashion demand chain, and that is deploying a network of distributed collaborative, um, sorry, I just got a <laughs> email coming in, uh, a distributed collaborative network of factories across the US that are all connected, sharing a distributed data layer for real-time throughput capacity and load bearing, and then shared resources for raw materials so you could get the volume pricing. And nice. um, we, at the HQ, the hub, takes on all the things that those small factories suck at, which include marketing, right. <laughs> in innovation, and brand onboarding. Amazing. So we do all those things and give them a playbook and financing for the CapEx to be able to deploy exactly a node of our model and then send them all the business. And we share the workload across the distributed network so we could scale up and scale down for any size of orders. And it's the whole network sharing revenue as opposed to a single factory trying to compete against everyone yeah. else for revenue. Absolutely. And you're not just talking about it. You're actually doing it. I mean, yeah. 
when we talk about sustainability and what we need to do to make that happen and make an impact on the environment and the world, you're right. There's a lot of pledges. There's a lot of talk going on. And, you know, we want to see that people are getting their hands dirty and we want to see that they're, you know, really making things happen to make that impact. And so, I mean, that story is just incredible and I know it's going to resonate and we are totally off script, but that is okay. <laughs> I think, I think one of the, one of the questions that I do want to ask you though, um, you know, as a woman and as a Latina woman, what have your experiences been as you've moved through all of these worlds and hmm. done? all of this research have you faced any challenges and did one industry kind of pays more pose more than others and how did you overcome it yeah so I think everything I have found discovered recently uh that unifying thread of having a chip on my shoulder and getting pissed <laughs> off and wanting to fix it <laughs> um is tied to my childhood. Surprise! <laughs> and being the only like brown family in Westchester, we dealt with and endured daily racism. And mm. like to the point where I was spit on on the bus on the daily <sighs> asking, you know, let's give her a shower because she's so brown and dirty. What are you? You know, like throwing all, I mean, I'm a girl, I'm a human. Are you a spicker yeah. and Nick? Like, horrible things on right. the daily. And then we also happen to live two doors down from a neo-Nazi skinhead who would write spick in the snow and put severed bloody deer heads in our driveway oh. and like just horrible things. Oh my goodness. So um, I realized at the age of 37 going through Techstars that um, I had my first anxiety attack and mm. I didn't know what was going on. And that night I called my mom at like midnight and said and told her, you know, what was going on. And I was just, eh, mom, <laughs> I hadn't done that in decades. And so um, she said the same thing to me that she had said since I was a little girl when I'd come home crying. She'd say, Lisita, you deserve to walk into any room and have your voice heard. Just hold mm -hmm. your head high and prove your worth. And so yeah, my entire career, my entire life, every choice I've made has been about proving my worth. Yeah. I am, so, oh, I can resonate with that so <laughs> bad. Yeah. And so only applying to Carnegie Mellon? What? Yeah. Chip on my shoulder, <laughs> proving my worth. Graduating yeah. with honors? Yeah. Going out to Silicon Valley um, in the middle of the heyday? Yeah. Like um, deciding to move overseas for a guy I was dating? Sure, why not? <laughs> you know, uh, just everything I've done has been trying to take on the biggest possible challenge for myself for personal growth and to prove that I could do it. And I think every founder has something in them that is like that, that usually is tied to their childhood that drives yeah. them. And that is your superpower. And for the longest time, I personally thought that the color of my skin, my gender, um, my, you know, being Puerto Rican even was so looked down upon. And now you do have to go through a, a growth process to learn that your differences are your superpowers. Mm -hmm. And I have life experiences and a chip on my shoulder that other people couldn't pay enough money to replicate 
the drive and ambition it's given me, you know, and the ability to endure and, and persevere and be relentless. And so, yeah, I've had people throughout my career tell me, you know, when I worked for somebody else, which has been decades now, um, we're going to pay you 7% of your 10% bonus, even though you quadrupled revenue for the first time in history yeah. for our company, because we want to keep you motivated. I'm like, you know how you motivate me? You show me the effing money. <laughs> and exactly. so, yeah, that it's been like every woman, I'm sure, stories throughout my life and my career of people telling me when I can earn my chance and have wait my turn and get in line and you have to earn your dues. Screw you. You don't get to decide yeah. what I can and can't do and when. So yeah. yeah, I'm now, I turned 48 this year and I have a total potty mouth, but I have zero fucks to give <laughs> anymore. And <laughs> I am just doing my thing. And anyone that doesn't believe in me is not my people. And I don't have time for you. I <laughs> resonate with all of that. So you've just <laughs> given me an aha moment. And that's got to be where all my motivation comes in. Because I've definitely got that. <laughs> I'm definitely on that path for that, for the worst. And I, you know, I appreciate you sharing about anxiety attacks. I have suffered from those since I was about 18. 18 was when I started suffering those. And it was because I fainted. Oh, wow. And so when I feel an anxiety attack, I feel like I'm going to faint and it makes mm-hmm. it worse because the anxiety just goes up. Yeah. And so I'm glad that you shared that because I know a lot of people do suffer from that and they mm-hmm. suffer from it behind closed doors. We don't hear about it enough. We don't hear about mm-hmm. it very often. And I think for people to hear from women like you and I, that we get them, we suffer from them, we have the tools, we know how to deal with it. Um, I think is really, really important because we aren't alone and we're all here to sort of support each other. So I definitely, definitely appreciate that. Um, and you've learned so much about yourself on this journey and it just proves that you need to try different things, learn different languages, yeah. you know, learn from different paths that you're going to take. So then, And if you're not getting where you know you want to go, look around you and yeah. First assess, am I surrounded by assholes that are extractive and exploitative of me? Or am I surrounded myself with people that believe in me and want to amplify me? Because nine times out of 10, I guarantee it, you're surrounding yourselves with assholes. It's so true. It's so true. So let's end this interview with some advice. What, What advice would you have for girls and women looking to follow in your footsteps? Ah, believe in yourself. (laughs) You know, don't expect other people to believe in you, but you have to believe in yourself and what you know you know. Like, I'm not talking about cockiness, but when you have achieved some things, don't let other people try to diminish your expertise, your knowledge, your insights. Um, And don't ever let anyone else. Uh, impose on you their own personal limitations. When I hear somebody tell me, well, you're not going to be able to do that. That's never going to happen. I'm like, I'm so sorry you think so little of your own abilities. You know, (laughs) 
that's not about me. That's about you. <laughs> so when you can put things into perspective like that, it really changes the game because it's not about me. It's about you. And I feel bad for you. So <laughs> I think um, surround yourself with people that amplify you and that mm-hmm. feed you and feed your energy. Um, and you'll go a lot further, a lot faster. <laughs> I know? love that. I love and also that. look for the people that will challenge you. I yeah. always applied for jobs that I knew were just above what I technically was qualified for, which is not what most women do. They always apply for the job that they're like 99.9% mm-hmm. overqualified for, as opposed to the guys that are like, yeah, I'm 60% there. I should get this job and you should pay me more because of this, this, and this. So I always acted like a guy and would land the job and then teach myself the skills that I needed on the fly. Like when I applied to worldweb.net, it was a content management software company. I didn't know PHP, JavaScript, and I knew HTML. Um, I also didn't know content management systems or taxonomy structure development and data science, but I had two weeks to teach myself all those things, to build two websites using this new CMS, to bring out to Seabold in San Francisco and show the two websites I built and teach other people how to do it too. And I did. Fascinating. That is, you know what, that's so incredible. And what you're doing in supply chain and sustainability <laughs> in support of startups, right? All all around the world, but mostly in the US and, and I think Puerto Rico. Yeah. You know, I'm just absolutely in awe. You know, Lisa is proof of the incredible things you can achieve with determination, hard work and passion. And I have no doubt that she is going to continue to make a huge impact on our industry. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today today. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you would like to hear more from us here at Let's Talk Supply Chain, we have plenty more podcasts for you featuring the best and brightest in the industry. Head over to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast to check out the latest. We also have a category filter and you know that we interview the most innovative companies in the industry. So if you have a supply chain challenge, go to that filter and you can find a solution to the supply chain challenge that you have. And remember to come back next week where I'll be talking to Mark of Transmetrics. They have done some amazing things in supply chain in Europe and now they are tackling the North American market and I am sure that they can help you with some of your supply chain challenges as well. So stay tuned and come back next week to hear about everything that they're doing and how they can help solve some of your supply chain challenges as well.
If you enjoy our podcast, there's a few ways to support the show. You can follow us. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're also on Clubhouse and TikTok. You can subscribe to Let's Talk Supply Chain on YouTube and subscribe to our newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com. You can also find some really cool merch, and I know the holidays are coming up, so make sure you get that merch early. You can also purchase our exclusive supply chain dictionary in our shop at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. And remember, if you want to be featured on an upcoming episode, you can comment on our question of the week, but you can also go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. A great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.